The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, today our show is about worry, and it's also about wonder. And I've been reading this wonderful book called Choose Wonder Over Worry, Move Beyond Fear and Doubt to Unlock Your Full Potential. And this is by Amber Ray, who's going to be joining us this morning. So let me tell you a little bit about Amber. Amber is an author and a artist and a speaker devoted to inspiring people to express the fullness of their gifts. And her writing has reached over 5 million people in 195 countries. And her public art has spread to over 20 countries. She's spoken to and collaborated with brands like Kate Spade, Apple, and Amazon. And she's been featured in the New York Times, Time Magazine, Fast Company, BBC, and ABC World News. And she lives in Brooklyn and around the world. And we're just so thrilled that she's joining us. If you want to know more about her, you can go to our website at conflicthealing.com. And you can see her book, a copy of her book, and uh, the JPEG of her book, her picture, and we link to her website, which is choosewonder.com. Amber, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Of course. Thank you for having me. So tell us how it came that you wrote this book. Yeah, the book really came from my own experiences with worry. And I bring to life worry in the book as this, that inner critical character in our head that says things like, who are you to do this? Does your voice matter? Are you good enough? How dare you say that? I realized that my progress, my potential in life was really being stunted by this critical inner worrier. And something interesting happened when I began to wonder about this worry voice, when I began to get curious about where it came from, why I was telling myself these stories, why I was buying into and believing that voice. And really, that's when life began to open up a bit more. And so, you know, if, if worry is our, our critical inner voice, wonder I like to think of as our curious inner guide. And it was through this journey of, of choosing wonder that led me to make art and put out ideas and speak my truth and launch entrepreneurial projects and really do the things that I always wanted to do in life, but 
once felt held back or paralyzed by worry and fear. Yeah. And you know, so many people think that their thoughts really are reality and they get sucked into that. And, you know, when we worry, I mean, there's nothing we can really do about the past, for example. So you talk about wonder is what we're born with, but worry is what we learn. So you want to kind of share that with my audience, what you mean by that? Absolutely. You know, if you see any kid, they are running around typically with eyes wide open, curiosity and wonder for the world around them. They're in a space of discovery and adventure and you know, that's really who we are. And then our society socializes and conditions us to worry between our education system, between, you know, being what a a good girl or a good boy looks like, that can create a lot of angst. I know for me as a kid, I had that full curious nature and then moved into in my teens wanting to perform, perfect, do it the right way, get straight A's. And that brought about a lot of pressure and worry and angst that it wasn't till a breakdown moment when I was in Silicon Valley in the world of tech in my early 20s, that I had a breakthrough of, whoa, this isn't, this way of life really isn't, isn't serving me. Right, right. You know, I, people often worry uh, for some good reason. You know, if I get worried about something for my client, it'll force me to sit down and do the work I need to do for them. And then I'll feel better. But you talk about there's two kinds of worries, right? The useful worry and the toxic worry. So not all worry is bad. So would you give some examples? Maybe something like what happens with me, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, people often come to me and they say, how do I make my worry go away? And the the aim is not to make it go away, but it's to learn to worry better. And like you said, when when I heard your example, you are worrying about your client. And so you're sitting down and you're doing the work and you're taking action. And that's when worry is useful. If we have a deadline coming up, if we have a really important meeting, if we are going to get on stage and do a performance of some sort, worry will show up to say, hey, this is important. Let's pay attention and let's prepare so that we can be our best. And that's when worry is useful. And that's when it's within our control and we can take productive action. Worry, however, is toxic when it becomes that ruminating anxiety about the past or about the future, basically the things that are outside of our control. And research shows that we spend about 80% of our time on these more toxic worries. What's interesting, though, about toxic worry is that the times it tends to show up is when we're actually pursuing something meaningful, worthwhile, and novel. Because Hmm. since we've, you know, we've evolved as a species over you know, thousands and thousands of years, and we have this threat mechanism system in our brain. So anytime we're about to do something uncomfortable or new or meaningful, it triggers that threat because it's unknown and uncertain. Right. So it that's that fear or fly uh, or flee <laughs> kind of in our limbic system, yes. right? It's just like, oh my gosh, can I do this? So yeah, I think for, for some people, if they, if they get paralyzed when they worry, for me, when I worry, it gets me to like, okay, I have to sit down and do this because I don't want to worry about it. <laughs> I'm going to do it and get it okay. done. Yeah, because I don't want to worry about it. It just makes me sick. But I know there are some people that will worry and worry, but it just paralyzes them. So that's, that's, uh, that's a tough one. So when worry does chime in in your head, what should we do? The most important and biggest thing we can do is first take a deep breath and then name it to tame it. 
so mm-hmm. neuroscience research shows that when we can name vividly the thoughts that we're thinking, the feelings we have in our body, that can reduce our worry or anxiety, the sensation of it, by up to 50%. And so let's say, you know, I'm worried about this upcoming event and whether or not it's going to go well and what people are going to think. And, you know, I'm spinning, spinning, spinning. If I can pause, take a breath and say, okay, right now the thoughts in my mind are, what if this doesn't go well? What if, you know, people are disappointed? What if, and I just name those what ifs or those statements or those thoughts, what happens is that we move from being really tied to the past or the present or the past or the future. And we come back to the present moment. And so name it to tame it. Mm, I love it. And that gets back to the whole issue of mindfulness and being conscious. You know, when you watch your own thoughts and say, wait a minute, is that really real? (laughs) You know, I mean, gosh, come on, where is this coming from? You know, and and so I think that's part of it is being really aware of your own thoughts where people, again, so many of my clients that I speak with, they aren't even aware that it's really their thoughts. It's not a reality. And that that's another thing. So you talk about feelings and you say our feelings aren't the problem. It's our relationship to those feelings. Could you clarify that? Yeah. So, so often in our society, there's a lot of, well, this is, there's a little bit of emotional repression where it's like, oh, sadness, I don't want to feel because we live in a society that really loves happiness and positivity. But sometimes that can be a detriment if we're just trying to stay positive and only think the positive thoughts where we don't allow these like messier or trickier or sometimes quote unquote negative emotions to have a space. And so, you know, sadness isn't the problem. Anxiety isn't the problem. Fear isn't the problem. It's how we relate to those emotions. Are we feeling sad and then, you know, drinking a third glass of wine to take the edge off? Are we feeling anxious and work and then mindlessly scrolling through social media? That is a more like toxic way to deal with the emotion versus saying, huh, right now I feel some sadness. I love what you just said before. Like, where's that coming from? Why am I feeling that way? What moment triggered me to feel sad. And when we can really turn toward and become curious about our emotions and what they're trying to tell us, there's often wisdom and insight beneath the things that we feel. Right, right. So in your book, you you have, uh, and again, I want to mention if people are just driving by and listening right now, um, we have this book, wonderful book called Choose Wonder Over Worry. Move Beyond Fear and Doubt to Unlock Your Full Potential by Amber Ray. So in your book, you you talk about choosing wonder over worry. And so you have a three-step process. Can you walk us through that three-step process? Absolutely. So the first step I mentioned earlier, which is to name it, to tame it. When you're in worry, to notice your thoughts to name what you're feeling, to name the thoughts that are going through your mind as vividly as possible so that you can just become aware of the things that you're saying. Like you said, you know, we are not our thoughts, but when we can become aware of what those thoughts are, then we can choose whether or not we want to buy into them. And then the next step that I have is to talk to it, to have a dialogue with these thoughts, to question it. So that like, let's say one of the big ones I always, I see a lot of people deal with is, you know, am I good enough? And so how you might talk to that is, you know, where did I learn that I might not be good enough? Where is this coming from? Why am I telling myself this? Is this thought serving me? Is this thought true? You know, what else might be true? 
And when we can learn to have this sort of dialogue and conversation, we can decipher between what's serving us and what's paralyzing us. And then the third step is to make a request. And this comes from, I've done a lot of study of nonviolent communication, which is a framework that we can use to resolve conflict with people. But I think it's really powerful in terms of resolving conflict with ourselves as well. And so let's say that um, this not good enough voice is preventing us from making an ask or moving something forward, we can say, hey, voice of not feeling good enough, I see you hanging out here, and I see that you're trying to protect me because all worry and fear is doing typically is trying to protect us from danger. I see you're trying to protect me, but here's the thing. This is really important to me, and I'm going to go after it. And so my request to you is that you calm down while I take this next step. Right. Right. I love it. I love it. You know, for me, I, I think that I try to do that myself and try and teach my clients that because as a mediator, I'm dealing with people who are in intense conflict. I'm trying to help them resolve their conflict. And so, you know, they, they say, oh, would have and could have and should have <laughs> all these kinds of things about the past. So, you know, like the research shows, you know, that you talk about that 80% of our time is really thinking or worrying about the regret or past anxiety or what's going to happen in the future. And um, that means that we waste a lot of time, doesn't it? It just, you know, it's beyond our control. I always tell people, oh, I should have done this. And I said, look, if I had a time machine right now, I'd, I'd love to take you back and then you could change things. But we don't. So, you know, we have to accept what is and how we're going to make it better in the future. So let's focus on what we can do right in this very moment. And it's, it's hard for people to do that because they keep going into the past. And so what do you, what do you say about this? Why don't we listen to that voice of wonder? Yeah, well, you know, I think, I think regret can be a powerful tool for changing our behavior in the future. So if we're regretting something we should have done it, we could have done it, which, of course, as you said, we can't control it now, we can't change it. But we can use the lesson there of why we didn't do it and what we wish we had have done to change our behavior and how we approach things moving forward. And so I would say use regret as inspiration for how you show up and act and behave in the future. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting because I do a lot of divorce mediation and people will say, "Oh, why did I do that? How could I how could I have allowed this, you know, that my boundaries to be overstepped so much or how could I have done that?" And I go, "Great, so now you see that." And this is a wonder, there are no mistakes as long as you learn, then there are lessons. And if there are lessons, what is, how beautiful that's going to be because you are going to have another relationship and you're going to be cognizant and you're not going to let that happen again. So like you said, take those regrets and turn them into inspiration or take those challenges from the past and learn from them and create new ways of dealing with things, learn new tools, learn new skills. So, yeah, I mean, what that's what's life all about, right? Is that we have lesson after lesson that we can grow and evolve. And using wonder sounds like a, a wonderful way of going forward, right? Absolutely. So, when we set ourselves free from worry, you know, and we start to learn what goes on, um, there's some, our mind 
has some myths, right? So uh, how do we deal with those myths that really aren't true? How do we, how do we evaluate them that they're really not true? So first, a bit of context. After working with thousands of people and doing research and talking with everyone from, you know, someone who grew up in a third world country to someone who had access to a billion dollars, what I found was that the all pervasive myth was this myth of not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not influential enough. I don't have enough time or money to do the things that I want to do. Lynn Twist in her book, The Soul of Money says in her section on scarcity that, you know, the average person wakes up and their first thoughts are, I didn't get enough sleep and I don't have enough time to do the things that I want to do today. And it's this myth of not enough that can really paralyze us. And so the process is to really to truth check it. First, we notice that we're even buying into and believing that myth. And then we ask ourselves, wait, is that true? Do I really not have enough time? Or, you know, maybe I have enough time, but I'm not investing it in things that matter. And so that's when we can truth check and and reframe it and really turn it around to see what other possibilities exist. The time one is the one that I see all the time. And when I hear people say, I don't have enough time, what I'm really hearing them say is, I don't know what matters. And so when we can really uncover the story that we're telling ourselves and what that story is really masking and we can truth check it and see what other possibilities exist there, that's when we can rewrite those stories and create new endings. Yeah, it's, I know for me, you know, I get so busy and then I realize I get cognizant of what I'm doing. Sometimes I allow things that aren't a priority to take priority. And and that's when I don't have enough time. It's like saying, okay, is this really going to be uh, a, a, an appropriate thing for me to do to get done what I need to get done today? Or am I just allowing this to happen? If I start looking at social media or I start playing with my dogs when I really need to be doing something else, am I just, you know, procrastinating? <laughs> what am I doing? So I think you're right. It gets all, it all goes back to being mindful and aware and noticing. Like you said, the first step for all of these things is to notice what am I thinking? What am I doing? How am I acting? And so um, that, you know, we don't want to beat ourselves up when we do it, but we need to recognize our feelings. Now, you say that our feelings really are our friends and not our foes. So kind of explain that for us. Yeah, I think it's so easy to say, oh, you know, that feeling, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to go there. Like envy is one that I think is actually a really powerful motivator because envy is our friend who tells us what we're inspired by. Because if we're feeling envious of someone else, what that's actually illuminating is untapped potential within us. So if I'm scrolling through Instagram, and this is, you know, I've, I've now published my book, but for years, the book was the big dream for me. And every time I saw someone publish a book, I would get mad. <laughs> mm. And I would feel envy. But what that envy was telling me is you want to write a book too. And so I think if we can reframe and wonder about why these emotions are showing up, there's immense wisdom there. Or anxiety. I think of anxiety as our loyal friend, our very loud friend, but our very loyal friend that wakes us up in the middle of the night and says something's not okay. 
And when we can ask like, okay, why am I anxious? Where is this coming from? And we can really get curious about it. That's again, when we can start to identify and notice when we may be doing something that's not aligned with our core values, or we may be over committing, or we may be doing something that we really don't want to be doing. Anger too. Anger is a friend, another loud friend that tells us when a boundary has been crossed. So anytime we feel anger, we can say, okay, what boundary was crossed? Why am I upset here? What, what message does anger have for me? And we can then adjust our behavior accordingly. So it can be so easy to push away or not want to feel these feelings. But when we can see them as allies on our path, giving us useful information and guidance, we can learn to work with them. Right, right. And, you know, in my profession, dealing with people who are angry all the time, a lot of the time people are really angry, not only because their boundaries are, you know, overstepped, which is a very good reason for people to, to feel angry. And it is a, a warning, like, don't, don't overstep my boundaries. But a lot of times it's hurt from the past yeah. that turns into anger, or it's, um, it, it, it could be either hurt from the past or it could be that you feel, well, it's very similar that you feel that somebody was disrespectful of you and that goes mm -hmm. to the issue of hurt from the past. So sometimes if we can get ourselves and for me to get my clients to go back to that hurt and stay in that point of hurt for a while to recognize it, then they can turn that that anger, that hurt, that anger into action to take care of themselves better. So yeah, it's, it, it is so fascinating that it's a lot of this is neuroscience. A lot of this is mindfulness and it's, uh, it, it's really something that we have to really pay attention to. You know, a lot of people have fear. Like, you know, I, I remember when I did my first book and, uh, I, I was fearful. What would people think? And I remember this saying, which you probably know, Amber, it's fear is really the, the, an acronym for false expectation appearing real, <laughs> right? And so, totally. uh, yeah, and that's what it is when sometimes, you know, I mean, if, there, if, if really you were in the ocean and some big animal was chasing you like a great white shark, that's real fear. But if you're fearful of moving forward in your life, that's really a different kind of a fear. And that's the one that, that we can deal with. I think a little bit, uh, we don't have to, you know, flee or fight or freeze when something like that happens. Now you talk about, um, wonder having three sidekicks, courage, curiosity, and compassion. Please walk us through those three and why they're so important. Well, I love the fear example that you just gave because, you know, false, what, what was it again? I'm it's false that. expectation appearing real. Yeah. So often so many times when we're going to pursue something that we care about, that fear comes up because again, it's a little unknown and a little scary. And we do think, you know, what will people think? Or what if I fail? That's when those, those voices start to get loud. And so this is where wonders friend courage comes in and courage says, Eee, that's a little scary. That's outside my comfort zone. And I kind of don't want to go there because I don't really know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go there anyway. And mm -hmm. so courage is the part of us that steps toward the fear and actually sees fear as an indicator of growth and fear is an indicator of moving in the direction of what really matters. And then the next friend of wonder is curiosity. 
And curiosity is a part of us that notices when we're off center, notices when, you know, something feels a little wrong or we're not feeling like ourselves. And curiosity wonders, hmm, you know, I wonder what's happening here. Or, hmm, where is this coming from? Or, hmm, what happened to have you feel this way? And that's really curious is, is our, our friend in staying mindful and staying noticing. And then last is compassion. I'm so glad you touched on this earlier because compassion is so key because truly we're all doing the best that we can based on our own level of awareness, based on where we're at in our lives. Of course, we're going to disappoint ourselves. We're going to disappoint other people. And things aren't going to go the way that we want all the time. Challenges are a part of life. And this is when compassion is so important. And compassion is our gentle friend that says, hey, I know this is a little hard. I know this is a little rough, but it's okay. You're human. And it's reminding ourselves of our humanness. And you know what? So many of us are able to have compassion for others, but not for ourselves, right? And so that's, totally. you know, and, and so sometimes we have to think, well, what would we tell someone else if they said this to us, right? And I wanted to bring up when you talked about fear and, it, you know, there was a book that I read many years ago by Marcia Sinatar, and it's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Yes. <laughs> it's a great name of a book, right? It really fits in with what you're talking about. And it is about really going in and, and kind of leaning into that fear and saying, okay, I, I feel that fear. I recognize it. I notice it like what you were talking about earlier. And then doing it anyway and take and having the courage that you're talking about, which is that, you know, that first step. And uh, I, I thought that was kind of fascinating that you talked about that because it just immediately it jumped into my head, that book that I read many, many years ago. So um, in every mo you talk about in every moment of the day, we really have choices to make about how we want to think, right? And how we want to deal mm -hmm. with issues, worry or wonder. And people don't always realize that they have those choices. They think that those thoughts, or they allow those thoughts to have power over them. So how do we regain our power to make that choice? Yeah, I think the first is to notice that we have the choice, that we get to choose if we're going to worry some, about something or wonder about what's possible. And one of my favorite exercises to begin this journey really is to pull out pen and paper and write, what is my relationship to worry? When do I worry? And then what is my relationship to wonder? And when do I wonder? Because again, I, I feel like I keep repeating this, but it's to notice first that when we're worrying and when we're wondering is the very first critical, most important step. Because so often we're unconsciously being led by worry, not realizing that it's running the show of our lives. And so when we can notice it, we can stop ourselves and say, wait, I'm choosing worry right now. And I want to choose wonder instead. Yeah. Yeah. So many of us, and, and luckily I've been working on my mindfulness for many, many years and I meditate and I do all these things to really question myself, like, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking that? But a lot of us don't do that. We, we're so busy in our day and, and playing on, you know, whether it's social media or doing our work or taking care of kids or texting or emailing that we don't just stop and pause and question. And I think that is, is a big problem. 
When you were talking about curiosity, I, I another thought came to my mind that I wanted to share with you. When you talked about, you know, why am I thinking this, or you know, what what is the what might I think differently? I was thinking about when someone says something to you, and you immediately. Uh, respond negatively because of something in your mm-hmm. past. And one of the things that we teach in conflict resolution is be curious about it. So when someone says, you've made me mad, which we know no one makes us mad, you, instead of saying, I didn't make you mad, you make yourself mad. Instead of answering like that, you can say, tell me more about that. Be yes. curious. Yes. So when you were talking about curiosity just now, not only be curious about why am I mad or why am I feeling this way, but also give the compassion that you talk about to other people, which is why, you know, tell me more about why you're feeling upset with me or tell me more about what happened that got you so angry. So that curious, that curiosity is so wonderful to be curious for yourself, your own thoughts, and curious for other people to avoid escalating conflict. Well, we are just out of time. Would you believe it? So I just want to mention your book again, Choose Wonder Over Worry, Move Beyond Fear and Doubt to Unlock Your Full Potential by Amber Ray. Amber, why don't you just give us your website and it's time to go. Sure. So my website for the book is choosewonder.com and then amberray.com is where you'll find a blog and all kinds of other resources. How wonderful. Thank you so much. And we will keep in touch. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thank you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.